So here we have actually today, we're going to store, we have a double portion this week, uh, which is Bahar and Bechukosai. Bechukosai is actually the final portion of this third book, which is the book of Vayikra. Uh, that's the book that we've been studying right now, uh, or it's also known as Leviticus. Uh, we're just concluding this week. We're going to learn a double portion. We're going to do Bahar and Bechukosai. So, right in the beginning... I'm sorry. That's all right. Right in the beginning of the Parsha, we are right away struck with an important part, with an important idea. So I'm going to ask who we're going to start. Sarah, you're sitting to my left. So why did you start with the first verse over here? I mean, here. Uh, the first verse, yeah. The first verse. And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying. Okay, I want you to. Um, now, it seems like an innocent statement. What does it say here? And the Lord spoke to Moses. What does it say? Where did he speak to him? On Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. But they weren't on Mount They weren't around Mount Sinai. Where were they? They were already in, like, further away because they started building the Mishkan already. So what is he saying here on Mount Sinai? I've read somewhere that, like, some of the pastures are out of order. So this is what this is. Hashem was saying to him. This was saying at, at Mount Sinai. Or maybe he just he just remem- remembered what Hashem told him like before. Yeah, but what is this saying? Uh, what is it saying? Do do in the second verse. Okay, let's do one more verse. Sarah, so say the next second verse. Verse number two. Speak to the children of Israel, and you shall say to them. Now Hashem is saying to whom? Whom is Hashem saying this Moses. to? Moses. No, he's saying to Moses. Hashem is saying to Moses, speak to the children of Israel, and you shall say to them. So what is he saying to This is he saying to him on the mountain, you're saying? That's what it seems to imply, obviously, Mount Sinai. So Hashem, so Hashem told him many times, Hashem saying say to them, and then it's say, okay, go ahead, continue. When you come to the land that I am giving you, the land shall rest a Sabbath to the Lord. Okay, so he's starting to talk about the land should rest the Sabbath to the Lord. We're going to talk about the, uh, there is a Sabbath that we do on the seventh day of every week. There's a Sabbath. Six days you work and the seventh day is Sabbath. And here we're having the seventh year, the sabbatical year. So we're going to be studying about that one works the ground and collects the produce for six years, but the seventh year he has to rest. That's the sabbatical year. The ground has to rest for the seventh year. Now, this opening statement of verse 1, if you compare it to many of the statements that we've had before, all these statements say, they begin, it's pretty uh, common, it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, it doesn't say anywhere on Mount Sinai, it just says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I want to discuss a little bit today and clarify a little bit. I think it's important to clarify a little bit how God and when God communicated to the Jewish people based on what the uh, Talmud says and based upon you know, Rashi's commentary. And of course, 
there are various ways to um, interpret. There's not only one interpretation, so there's various views as usual. In the Talmud, there's two opinions. But I just want to first point out something else. That at the end of this <coughs> second portion, the end of Leviticus, you don't have a copy of that, but in the very end, after the two um, sections that we're reading this week, there's an interesting verse, the final, very last verse of the portion of Bechukhoisai. And I just read it to you over here. Over there it says, this is the final verse. These are the commandments, these, meaning he's going to the above, it says, these are the commandments that Hashem commanded Moses to the children of Israel. And guess what it says here? On Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai. Now, if you look in the uh, in between, we also have several times God says to Moses, saying, it says um, um, uh, several times, I saw it once over there, but uh, I'm pretty sure there's a second time over here where it just says, what is this? Okay, no, I see it once in Bechukhois, I see it once over there, I see it. Uh, where it says, God speak to Moses saying, what is this? What does it mean when it says, God spoke to Moses saying, why do we have every time and Kedoshim begins with that. With what? Bar Sinai? Hashem spoke to Moses, but not on Mount Sinai. Oh, well, okay. Oh. Hashem spoke to Moses, we have many, many oh. times. All the time. But I'm going to ask you that alone. What does it mean? The Chumash, the Bible is full with the words, God said to Moses saying. Why does it every time say, God spoke to Moses saying? Why did God have to always speak to Moses saying? Why didn't God just speak to him once? Now, one can think that every time it says, God says to Moses saying, that was a separate time. God spoke to Moses various different times. Every time that God spoke to Moses, he begins his statement by saying, God spoke to Moses saying. And the reason why it says it so many different times, God says to Moses saying, is because each time is a new God speaking to Moses saying. But it's interesting that the in this commentary, in the commentary of Rashi, right in the beginning of the book of Vayikra, in the first commentary, uh, Rashi says that God actually can speak to Moses several things, but God gave Moses a chance to absorb what he has spoken to him. Uh, we find in the when you read the Torah, the Torah reads not like in the in the in the Chumash. The Torah reads one after the other. There is just in places there is spaces. When you read the Torah, there is no vowels in the Torah, but it just you follow line after line after line. The sections the way we have them over here are not necessarily the sections that we find in the Torah, uh, like. When we have, for example, the portions like we do on Sunday and Monday, Tuesday, we get the aliyahs, the different people that we read in the Torah, 
those are not necessarily, uh, and many times it's different, that they are not sectioned off like that in the Torah. When you read the Torah, you know, of course, there is no commas, there is no any exclamation, there's no marks, there's no vowels, there's nothing in there. It's just the words, okay? And you have to know how to pronounce the words. That's why we have so much trouble with the Balkoris, with the Valkyries, the ones who are reading, some will do better, some will do uh, worse if they're not prepared well, because there is no vowels, so they can't really tell from the word. If you don't have the knowledge from beforehand, if you haven't studied it, then you don't know what to read. But line after line follows. But there are spaces in the Torah. There are spaces. So like in one section there will be a space, and then there will be another section there will be a space. There's two types of spaces also, but I don't want to go through all that. But Rashi commented, and Rashi says that God when he was speaking to Moses, even if he told him a lot of things at the same time, but God left a space there, that means, it doesn't mean that God started to speak to him anew every time, but all what it means is that God allowed for him some time to absorb everything that he has taught him. So he left him some space. A space only means a stop, go ahead, think about what I've told you, and then we'll move on. doesn't mean that it's a stop, that it's a new uh, sitting or it's a new, a new, a new parsha, a new section only means that there's time to absorb what you have studied. Rashi also comments over there. Rashi says, so if God, who is the teacher, and Moses is the student, he needs time to absorb the information. How much more so? Rashi comments when a person tries to teach somebody who's not God and the student is not Moshe. How much more so? A person should always make a stop to allow for the student, for the recipient to absorb and take the information so that they can sort of uh, take the time to really comprehend what was taught to them. So, if after a Parsha, for example, we find, after a a break, we find by Daber Hashem and Moshe Lamer that God speaks to Moses after there's a little break, it's possible that to start off the uh, section again, we start off with Vaidaber Hashem and Moshe Lamer. God speaks to Moses because that's sort of a, even it's at the same time, but it's a new saying. In any event, it looks like Vaidaber Hashem. This is like a set. Whenever God speaks to Moses, saying it looks like that that's a like either a section by itself or it's a subject by itself. It's a time by itself. It could be very different because not every time when it says by Daber Hashem that God speaks is it by a break. So that means that it wasn't a break. It means that God continued saying. Still it says God spoke to Moses saying. So exactly how that is interpreted throughout the Chumash, that's something beyond the... Uh, we have to look into further. But this is the only place... <coughs> in this section, where it says God speaks to Moses on Mount Sinai. So, I was going to say that uh, Stuart said correctly. We have to put this into a time frame when this all this took place, and it's a little bit, you know, surprising. Because, you know, on one hand we say the Torah doesn't have an order. We know that. Things that are written before happened later. Things that are written later happened before. It's all over the Chumash. But 
we only say that when there is no choice, and we have to say that. But as little changing as possible is probably uh, better, unless we're forced to say that it's out of order, why should the Torah have recorded things out of order? First, God communicated with Moses where? On Mount Sinai. How long was Moses on Mount Sinai? He was there for 40 days and 40 nights while God taught him the Torah. Eventually he went up for another 40 days and then for another 40 days. But that was when God communicated with Moses. Moses was praying to God on the second time and the third time. But the main time that Moses was receiving the Torah, that God gave him originally the Torah, was the first time around. Actually, it says that later on, God gave him even more stuff later on. God taught him, you know, after he broke the first tablets and he went up a second time, God gave him even more stuff at the later times that he went up there. But what did Moshe Rabbeinu do on the mountain? Moshe Rabbeinu went and he was studying with God. God was teaching him stuff. So, presumably, God told Moses you know, all of the Torah, everything that needed to be taught to Moshe Rabbeinu. So, then the question becomes, so then Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain, he studied with God, and God tells him everything. Then Moses comes down from the mountain. After the three times he went up, he comes down on Yom Kippur, he comes down from the mountain. And then he tells the Jews that they got to build the Mishkan, According to Rashi also, that's when they made the judges and the, all the people after Yom Kippur. Yisro's advice took place then, even though it was written and recorded earlier. But this took place at that time. So they're building the tabernacle, and they're sitting in judgment, and they're studying the Torah. Now, we also find that after Moses came down, from the time that Moses came down from the mountain, that is on Yom Kippur, and we're all talking, this whole story is within one year and a few months, that's it that we're talking about. We're not talking about a very long period. This whole Chumash, the whole story of here. So, what happens is, Moses came down from the mountain, he came down on Yom Kippur, after he descended from the mountain, the verse talks about, in the end of the previous Chumash, it talks about how God would come to Moses' tent, to Moses' tent, that Moses by his tent, God would come there and communicate to Moses by his tent. So first God speaks everything at Mount Sinai. Once Moses comes down, we learn that God communicated to Moses from his tent, that Moses would communicate to the Jewish people, go to the camp. So it was Moses' tent. Moses' tent was like the place of meeting with God which God instructed him. If God wanted to talk something to the Jewish people, he would come to Moses in his tent. That's the second place we find that God communicated with Moshe, with Moses, by his tent. Now Rashi said earlier that that took place only for the period between Yom Kippur and the first of Nisan, right before Pesach, in which they were building the structure of the temple. But Rashi says that once they built the Mishkan, once they built the the temple, the, the, the sanctuary, God no longer met Moses at his tent. God would only communicate to Moses from the Mishkan, from the tent, 
from the uh, inside of the curtain by the there was the orin the ark with the tablets and the cherubs were over there. God communicated to him from behind the curtain, and that's how God communicated to Moshe Rabbeinu. So now we're up to ready three spl- three places. Just to sum up, first God communicated with Moshe while he was on the mountain. Then from there God communicated with Moses from his tent till they built the Mishkan. Once they built the Mishkan, God communicated to him from the Mishkan. Our book of Ayikra, this book of Ayikra, of Leviticus, this begins with God's communication to Moses from the tent of meeting, from the sanctuary. That's what the Chumash begins. Presumably, all the sections that are talking about it here, those were all communications that God spoke to Moses from the time that they built the uh, uh, tabernacle, right? Until um, the end of the story, which was for several months. God was talking to him at that point. That's presumably what took place in this whole book, in the book of Leviticus. is the book where God says, it opens up, the book opens up, God spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So everything is fine and dandy, makes sense. You know, there's a lot of laws over here. We talk about the leprosy, we talk about the, the uh, various, various different, you know, various laws for the Kohanim, and there's, you know, many, many laws in all the portions. There's a lot, a lot of laws. Matter of fact, some of these portions, Rashi says they have most of the bodies of Torah, most of laws of Torah. There's many, many laws in all the portions over here. Now, so we go through the whole book of Leviticus till the last two portions. It all seems that we're talking about when? That we're talking about the time that Moses, God was communicating to Moses from the Oel Moed, from the Tent of Meeting, from the Tabernacle. That's where God was communicating with him. When we come to our portion over here, and the end of Bechukosa, which refers to all these previous, all of a sudden, it talks to you about the Har Sinai, that God communicated Mount Sinai. So, if we should look at it, the first approach, all of a sudden, now the Torah is recording something which took place way before at the time when Moses was on Mount Sinai. So for some reason, for some strange reason, that wasn't communicated before in the Chumash. All of a sudden now we have a record. The Torah is recording and telling you this is the thing that God said to Moses on on Mount Sinai. Now, I started saying before, there's one more thing I want to say. One more time God communicated. There's one more time not God communicated but there's one more time that Moses is telling the Jewish people what God communicated to him. Before Moses dies, that goes 40 years, you've got to move 40 years ahead. Before Moses dies, the last few days, the last few days before Moses dies, Moses communicates to the Jewish people. He sort of backtracks and he goes through their history what they went through. And Moses tells them a lot of things that happened. So it's what's called, that's the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, that's called Mishnah Torah, the repeat, repetition of the Torah. Because those are words that Moses is saying. All of here, we're talking about 
God is speaking to Moses and we're recording what God is speaking to Moses. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's no longer God speaking to Moses, it's Moses speaking to the Jewish people, telling them what God has communicated, reviewing the history, what took place before. That's the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the interesting thing is that over there, we find sometimes details that Moses is talking to the Jewish people, he's telling them such things which we never found before. So, Moses is saying, not making up new stuff over there, it seems like. He's saying to them, and he's going back, first of all, the story, he elaborates, there's certain details missing over here, they're mentioned over there. Even the Ten Commandments, Moses refused that too. There's a small difference in the Ten Commandments also. A few, very, very small, but there is a difference between the Ten Commandments, the Ten Sayings, the way they appear in the book of Deuteronomy, and the way they, they, they appear in, in the book of Shemois, in Exodus. So there's a difference between that too. But there is also various laws. There's various details. So, I guess like this. We have a record of the Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu repeating. We have a record of what it says here, God speaks to Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. We know that God spoke some things to Moses from Moses' tent over there. So, in the Talmud, there is one opinion that says, everything that we find anywhere, whether we find it in the God's command to Moses, whether we find it recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Everything, everything was already told to Moses on Mount Sinai. So Moses knew the whole Torah, all the details. There is nothing really new that God communicated to Moses outside of what he told him on, on Mount Sinai. God told him everything. But didn't he forget a bunch of stuff? He could have forgotten some things, but God communicated everything to him. The only thing is, so what is it says God speaks to Moses from the tent of meeting, if God already told him everything? The only thing is, as the ma- matters became applicable, Moses Rabbeinu repeated it and said it again at that time. So God speaks to Moses, he speaks to them. It's not recording what took place over there. It's actually a God's communicating now to Moses. It's not, we're not telling you something that God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, we're telling you, God is saying to Moses, but what is he saying to Moshe? What is he saying to Moses? He's saying to the things that he's already told them before, but God is telling him to say now to the Jews, tell them this, tell them this, tell them this. There's a new communication that's taking place right now, what he should tell the Jewish people. That's one opinion. And then when Moses repeats it in... Uh, in, in, in Deuteronomy over there later on he's also repeating when he was, all these things he was told originally but some details were brought in before some were brought in later for whatever reason the Torah has but it's all been told to him before the other opinion says no the other opinion says that Moses were only told at the 40 days he was only told the generality of things God discussed all the mitzvahs told him about the general uh, ideas, but the specifics that you know, the details, they are mentioned each time when the Shem tells them. So when it says God communicated him, God communicated. That's when God told him those mitzvahs. Now, but again, so when we come to our portion over here, 
So what are we going to say? So in our portion we have to say, God says to Moses on Mount Sinai. So it, it really now we're going back and telling us, telling you some of the things that God said to Moses on, 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 on Mount Sinai. So, well, if God told him everything on Mount Sinai, so why are we all of a sudden just recording these things that he told him on Mount Sinai? Why are we all of a sudden bringing in over here what he told him on, 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 on Mount Sinai and this, and this part over here? Why does it belong over here? So, when you learn the verse over here, it seems a little bit difficult to understand what does it mean that he spoke to him in, Sinai, in Mount Sinai? So, therefore, uh, even though the simple meaning means that Hashem spoke to him, God spoke to him on Mount Sinai, uh, the Rebbe's commentary is that in the simple meaning of the verse, this is not the Mount Sinai that he was talking to him, it means in the area of the Mount Sinai. Stuart, you mentioned before, the Jews haven't left yet the Mount Sinai. They were still in front of the Mount Sinai. The Jews stayed there for a long time. All this was happening, this isn't referring to Mount Sinai that they were, when, when Moses was up there for 40 days or for later on. That's not what we're talking about now. When we're saying that God spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, we're talking about at the section of Mount Sinai over there. So we're not talking, this continues to speak from the tent of meeting as Hashem has spoken to him all the time. And all this is happening is in order. We're not saying it's out of order. But Hashem is just communicating. But, a reason, but we need a reason to say, so why did we all of a sudden t- decide to say over here that God spoke to him on Mount Sinai? I mean, all the other communications were done by Mount Sinai too. If Mount Sinai doesn't mean when Moses was up there for the 40 days, but it means just in the vicinity, when he was at the Mount Sinai, but not at the time that he went up to God in Mount Sinai, so then why, why would we have it important to write over here that it was done at Mount Sinai? Could it be he's, reaffir- he's retelling him something that was important? But it, the way we're learning now, this isn't God telling him what took place, it's not we're recording now what took place uh, on when the Torah was given, when Moses went on Mount Sinai. This is talking about what's communicated to him now. Why would the Torah found it necessary to tell us now that God said it to him at this, when they were standing near Mount Sinai? Why is that important that we don't find it anywhere else? And Rashi has a comment over here, and I'm going to go on. I think it maybe was a little bit more confusing than I than I want it to be. But Rashi comments over here that there is a special reason for mentioning Mount Sinai over here. And Rashi says that the reason is because um, this laws of Mount Sinai we do not find repeated in, um, in, the, in, in the last book of Deuteronomy. Like I said before, Deuteronomy repeats, Moses repeats most of the laws. But the laws of the seventh year, the sabbatical year, we don't find that repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. There is no mention of this. It's just in like in one word, very short, but there's really no mention about... So what does that mean? Since there was no mention of it... He had to be very clear here. That's right. So that means he had to be very clear here. So that means that all the details and everything else were said over here. 
um, somebody can come to a wrong conclusion. Since certain details we find Moses repeating that Warren said in the beginning, so one can conclude, one can make a mistake and think, maybe Moses made up some stuff. Because, God forbid, maybe he made up some stuff. Because it's not written in the previous statement. It doesn't say God told him to say so. It doesn't say so in the first four books. And since we find it just in the last book, so these are extra pieces that Moses put it in. Maybe that's not... Maybe some of the details to the mitzvot, maybe Moses added them on his own. But the mitzvah of the sabbatical year that we're studying over here, that mitzvah, Moses didn't even repeat at all. Right? So, if the Torah didn't say Mount Sinai here, and you would have just said the, the book would have just said, God speaks to Moses. Right? And then, there is nothing in the other book, in the Deuteronomy, you would come to the conclusion, well, Moses didn't add anything for this rule. That's why he doesn't mention it. There's no addition, so he doesn't mention it. The other things that Moses did mention, maybe because Moses added it later on. If you would have just said, because the laws of the sabbatical years, we don't find repeated later. So, then that would tell us, you know, that Moses added a lot of things later on, and sabbatical year he didn't mention because there was no need to mention it because everything was done and other things that he does mention a uh, second time those were because there were additional pieces that's why he said it again and that's the reason Rashi explains that it says here on Mount Sinai because the Torah is trying to tell you just like this mitzvah the mitzvah of Shemitah this law was given fully from Mount Sinai so the Torah is trying to teach you that you should know that everything was given to Moses. To Moses, Nothing in the book of Deuteronomy has been made up later on, has been added later on by Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, even when we say by Moshe Rabbeinu, it doesn't take away that made it up in a bad way. He made it, but it mean, it doesn't have that importance, or maybe it was added later on. So the Torah writes over here and tells you, I want you to know, this is Sinai, which means all the details were given from Sinai, so you need to know that this is to teach you that everything else was given from Sinai. Hashem is writing the word Sinai to tell you, when I speak to Moshe saying, you should know that everything is given at Sinai. Sinai doesn't mean at Mount Sinai, when he was there for 40 days. I mean, everything was given by God during... Moses' time at the mountain at, and later on during this time, everything was given to him. So that later on when he repeats it, and we go back ahead, 40 years later, you should know that there nothing else was added. Everything was done 40 years back at that particular time. Whether it was on the mountain, whether it was down uh, later on but it was done 40 years ago 38 years ago to be exact it was all done 38 years ago so how do we know that? that's why the Torah writes here and says to you this is Mount Sinai to tell you that the mitzvahs 
In one place, God writes to you. This was done on Mount Sinai. If it would have been written elsewhere, Mount Sinai, then you would have thought only that part was done Mount Sinai, but then there were additions. The Torah puts the words Mount Sinai in a place where there is no additions later on in the later on the Deuteronomy, to teach you. Just like this rules of Shemitah, nothing changed, you should know that everything else stayed the same, and nothing changed. That the Torah was not added later on. That Moses Rabbeinu, when he's repeating it, didn't add later on. And everything that he said over then, started over here. Why don't we do a little bit more of the Chumash, and then we'll, we'll get maybe a little bit more of the picture, instead of sitting and <laughs> trying to figure this out. Okay, so let's go on. Uh, Marina, let's go into the next uh, to the next pasuk. You may sow your field for six years, and for six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in its produce. So, what does this mean? That's regular. That includes working the fields. Yeah. Now, he's giving you just an example. He says six years you can sow your field. And six years you can prune. Yeah. So those are kind of words. What does pruning mean? I don't know. Some agricultural thing. Prune means when you cut down. Let's say you have a vine. Trim. You trim it. You trim. Yeah, you cut off all the old. So why shouldn't the person be allowed to trim? So it will trimming. More. That's right, because trimming. It's like sewing. When you trim, you're actually um, you're actually making it grow. You're making it grow. That's part of the uh, of making it grow is by trimming it. So uh, by pruning it. Yeah. So that six years you sew, and for six years you can prune. What does "vasafto es tuvasa" mean? Gathering. And you gather. You can collect the grain. Okay, now do one more verse, Marina. Uh, but in the seventh year, the land shall have a complete rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field, nor shall you prune your vineyard. So that's talking about the seventh year. Now, you know, those people who work with agriculture will tell you that it's better for the fields not to uh, not to uh, work it every year, but to let it rest so that it can do better later on. But the verse is going to say to you uh, in the um, in the following verses that this is not done. No, in this verse it says in the next verse it's going to say to you it should be what do we say here? Sabbath for Hashem. Okay, why don't you do uh, Stuart, Why don't you do the next verse? Do not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest. Oh, one second. Oh, okay. So we did we this for already? Yeah. Okay, so that's why it says a rest. I just want to say it says a rest of Shabbos to the Lord, which means that the purpose why we're resting is not for the purpose of making the field a better field. It's a rest for the Lord. Why do we rest on the Sabbath once a week? Because Hashem told us to. Okay, that's a good reason. But let's take it a step further. What did Hashem give a reason why 
he wants us to rest on the seventh day? Because he created the world in six days, and the seventh day he rested. Exactly. It says, Ki, because, Sheishis Yomim, for six days, Osa Hashem, God made Shemayim Va'aretz, the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day, Shavaz Va'inofash, Va'yemash Vira Va'inofash, on the seventh day he rested. So why do we rest on the Sabbath every day? That's a testimony. That's for Hashem. We are sort of declaring that God created the world. He created the world in the six days and He rested in the seventh day. So why doesn't it say, I created the world? The Torah talks in a third party way. The Torah says, for Hashem. It says, God created. Hashem doesn't say, I created the world. That's the way the Chavish is written. In, in a third party. That, that, uh, telling you the story. Right? Now, so why do we have the sabbatical year over here? For the same reason. Shabbos Hashem. It's a Sabbath for God. This is also a testimony. Rather, it's not in days, but here it's in years. Six days of, uh, of the year, six years of, of the cycle you work. And you work, but on the seventh day you rest because of Hashem. This is also a testimony. And this is also a uh, connected to God's creating the world in six days and resting on the seventh day. That's why we are also supposed to take a year off. We're supposed to take a sabbatical year, a year off, in order to proclaim God as the creator of the world that created everything. But it's year, it's not day. So what about months? Then? Every seventh month means something? I mean, it's different uh, You know, I told you the, uh, the joke about um, this guy went and says, God, tell me how long is uh, a million years in in your years, oh, God said it's like one year. So he says, God, how long, how much is a million dollars? No, no, he says, how much is a million He says, one day, he says. Mm-hmm. So he says, how much is uh, is a million dollars in your money? Oh, he says, a million dollars is like a, a dollar, he says. Oh, he says, God, please give me a dollar. <laughs> he says, wait a minute, he says. <laughs> Uh, the point here is that, yeah, I know we can't make it up ourselves, but there is a relationship between a year and seven years and uh, and days, a year and a day. It goes a year for a day. And, you know, we're actually going to read it in a, uh, in a... The Torah knows the connection, not by the month. The Torah knows the connection. Uh, we are going to read it about, you know, the spies. There were spies that went to uh, search out Israel, how it's going to be easier to conquer. And they went for 40 days. And then later on, they were punished for 40 years. Mm. A day for a year. Yom Lashana, Yom Lashana. So a year and a day are connected in other places. So it's not like uh, just a year, a day. It's just a part, but they, they are connected. So the purpose, and Rashi points that out, the purpose of the sabbatical year is to really uh, celebrate God's creation of the world. But also, on the sabbatical year, one is supposed to take time off from, the, from his regular work, to concentrate and, and uh, focus on, on his spirituality. And, you know, and so that's, that's another reason for the sabbatical year. Okay, Stuart, do a next, next verse. Oh, I read June 1, verse 1. Do not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest, and do not pick grapes you set aside for yourself. It shall be a year of rest for the land. 
Okay, now what what does aftergrowth mean? What does aftergrowth mean? It says do not you shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest. The grapes will continue growing regardless if he's pruning them or not, so he cannot go pick them after the time. Great. So you're saying like this. So there's two things. Fruits of a tree you don't have to sow. Right. They just naturally come back every year. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to uh, stop just because you didn't do anything to the tree. You're still going to get the grapes up there. So that is the second part that you're saying. And you shall not pick the grapes Okay, you had set aside for yourself. In other words, that you should not, um, uh, if you set aside for yourself, um, what does it mean? Okay, let's talk about that for a minute because we start with the grapes. What does it mean, the grapes that you set aside for yourself? I, I thought that everything in the field then became like ownerless. That anyone yes. could go into anyone's field and take what was growing. That's right. And what happens? And then at a certain point, even if you... That if you wanted to do that, what happens if you wanted to put up a fence around your yard and you don't let anybody... That's growing up for you. That's what the verse is saying to you. So the grapes that you have separated for yourself, meaning that if you don't let anybody else uh, collect from it, then then you shall not... Uh, you should not do it. That's what the verse is telling you here. And you shall not pick the grapes you have set aside for yourself. In other words, if you open up your fence and you say, everybody, it's ownerless, come in and take the grapes, then you can go and pick two. You're no different than anybody else. You can't behave like an owner. You can just pick it like everybody else. You can eat it like everybody else can eat it. But if you went and you locked it up and you closed it up, then you can't pick it. What is the meaning though? That means, uh, Alan, that means the second part that you shall not pick the, for grapes you have set aside for yourself. But what is the meaning of the first part of the verse? You shall not reap the aftergrowth. What does it mean, the aftergrowth? Isn't that the stuff that grew naturally? It grows on its own. Like wheat, some of the wheat, the seeds of the wheat plant are the wheat are in the stalk and when you harvest them, some fall on the ground and grow like the next year. That's right. Mm-hmm. So the aftergrowth means, so one may think, the Torah prohibits us from doing work on the seventh year. So we're not allowed to plant on the seventh year. We can't plant anything. We can't plant, we're talking about the, we're talking about the grain and we're talking about the fruits. So fruits is covered in the second part of the verse. But the first part of the verse deals about the grain. So the Torah says, that what that you can't plant on the seventh year. That is what is written in the verse, the previous verse, in verse, um, in verse uh, three and four. It says six years you should sow your field, right? So it says to you six years you sow your field. So we know that you can't sow your field for six, for the seventh year. But what happens if you didn't sow your field in the seventh year? But it's just growing because when you cut the, uh, the the crops and the grain from that year, some of it fell and then they grew. Am I allowed to use and cut that? That's what the verse is telling you here. It says, do that, not reap the aftergrowth. That's right. Oh, so that's what the verse is coming to but tell I you. I the stuff that grew by natural, you could pick. You can't pick it. You could pick everything, but not as an owner. 
In other well, words, you have to leave your field open and anyone can get. In other words, that if it's open for everybody, if it's free, if it's ownerless, then you can take two. If it's not ownerless, then you have to. Uh, then you're not allowed to pick it. But isn't there also a certain time that you have to take it out of your house? Say you harvested a lot of stuff, and then it's not in the fields anymore, or something like that. Then you have to like bring it back outside. Yeah. So, because you know what you're talking about is that I mean we're going to learn a little bit later. Huh. What you're talking about it is. Were you looking at the commentary there? No. Okay. So what it, what you're talking about is that it says a person has animals. Let's say he has to feed. So what is he going to do? He's going to go every day and he's going to take a little fruit or a little the grain to feed his animals. So it's a, it's a, it's a sabbatical year, yes. It's owner. So what, what is he going to do? He's not allowed to behave like an owner. So we're saying the person can cut and take enough grain and feed his animal from all the things that grew in the seventh year. Yes, he can. He can do that. As long as it's available for the animals in the streets. So if animals from the wild can come and eat, as we're going to learn in the next verse, uh, in the two verses, that if the animals, and it's free for everybody else, to also come in and enjoy the, uh, the, the grain, then it's okay. Then it's okay for you to put aside and feed your animals. Or the same thing is also for yourself to use for yourself. It doesn't mean that every time you want an apple, I'm going to have to go out to the, to the tree and pick an apple over there. If there's apples available for everybody to take, it's okay for me to hold them in the house. I don't have to go out every time and eat an apple. But the minute it's not available anymore outside for the other people, or the minute that the grain is not available for the animals to go ahead and eat it, then I have to take it out. That's what you're, And that's what we learn out from the next verse. Warren, say... Uh, the next verse. And the, and the produce of the Sabbath of the land shall be yours to eat for you, for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and resident who live with you. So, what is the, the, basically the verse is saying there's no problem with eating the, with eating the grain and the crops. That the Torah has no problem. The Torah has only a problem that you should not be like an owner. It should be ownerless and everybody should have equal uh, rights to go ahead to consume it, to eat it, and to be part of it. When uh, it says uh, male and female slaves, right? why, why they specify? What why? else is there? <laughs> I mean, why it's right. so, so male and female? Why can it just say your slaves? I don't understand. And, okay, good question. And then you're going to say, I just want to uh, follow, make your questions mm-hmm. more. Then it says, and your hired worker, right? right. What is, it doesn't say your female hired right. worker and your male hired worker. Mm-hmm. Then it says, those who live with you. It doesn't say... Uh, okay, so uh, perhaps there is a, um, uh, a certain uh, learning that we learn out. Now, every word of the Torah... There's something that we learn out. I can't tell you offhand exactly why you learn out and why this word is said. I mean, we have that full in the in the Chumash, in the Torah. I mean, these questions are uh, questions that have been, you know, dealt with throughout trying to figure out every letter, every word, and what we learn out. In this case, um, it doesn't say um, uh, specifically... Uh, why there would be a difference, but one can only 
uh, one can only guess and think that maybe some of them may be more vulnerable than others, so there should be a, an idea that maybe not only one can try to find reasoning why it should be more, uh, you know, uh, allowed maybe to feed your maidservants because they're more dependent. Maybe the uh, male can go himself more out to the fields. I don't know. I mean, one can find try to find some rationalization why you would need to specify it. But that's definitely a good question. But I'm going to just tell you, the questions like that, they're abundant in the Chumash. And it's, it's, it's something that we need to study and try to figure out every word. But first we've got to get the general picture. And then we're going to, unfortunately I ran out of time, I've got to go to the minion. Mm-hmm.